0: Welcome into The Harvest. I'm Andrew Stroud. We've got a great episode for you today. Recently, I met up with my longtime friend and partner in the gospel, Al England. Al and his wife Iris live in Seattle, where they're on the cutting edge of sharing the message of Jesus and making disciples in the everyday places of life. In this conversation, we dive into topics like obstacles and opportunities that face the church in the 21st century, reaching your neighborhood for Jesus, and how you can get started as a disciple maker if you're not sure where to begin. Al serves as director for a ministry called Nav Neighbors. He's also a recently published author and as part of this podcast is giving away a free copy of his book, A Vital Movement, An Inspiring Vision to Impact Your Community and World to the first 10 listeners who email him. If you're interested in getting a free copy of Al's book, email him at navengler at me.com. That's N-A-V-E-N-G-L-E-R at me.com. If you're driving or unable to jot down his email, you'll find it in the show notes of this episode. Enjoy the conversation. Well, Al, welcome. Uh, Really glad you're the first person that we're going to get a chance to interview and have a conversation with for our Into the Harvest podcast. Uh, You and I have known each other, let's see, I I think by my recollection, maybe 10, 15 years? Yeah, I think closer to 15 than 15 (laughs) 20, I don't know, but it's been a while, yeah. Well, I've always admired you. Of course, we lived up in the Northwest together for the five years that we were there. Um, I know you as a native to the Northwest from Seattle. You're back there now, but in between your start and where you are today, you've lived all over the world, and so we're going to get a chance to talk a little bit about that, but I know that uh, you're an athlete. You just recently ran, was it a half marathon or, or the full thing? Half marathon. Yeah, that's the once a year when I'm in a half marathon, I get called an athlete. It's kind of
1: nice to read that
0: out. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyone who can run 13 plus miles, I think, has earned the, uh, the moniker <laughs> athlete. But also a big sports fan. I know you're a sports fan of all teams, Seattle. But also someone that is very passionate about following Jesus and helping other people follow him. And doing, it, doing that in a way that introduces people who might not otherwise come across the message of Christ. So hopefully we'll get into that as well. But um, also very recently, you are a published author. So I've got a copy of your book here, A Vital Movement, An Inspiring Vision to Impact Your Community and World. And the things that you talk about in that book are front and center to why I wanted to have this conversation with you and share it with our listeners, because you've really been a student of the gospel and how does the message of Jesus spread and grow in natural ways through relationships, through connections that we already have. So tell us a little bit about why you wrote the book and what inspired that.
1: Yeah, I, I think, uh, some of it is my own background. I came to Christ later in life. I was in the military and, uh, just a fellow soldier, a fellow worker and a friend of mine was really the first person I knew that, uh, his life was attractive and he was able to articulate a vision about Jesus. And actually he knew the scriptures and he introduced me to the scriptures and probably that's marked my life. I mean, he was a regular guy who was in my natural traffic patterns and he could speak winsomely about Jesus. And once uh, the Lord grabbed a hold of my heart, he was able to actually help me grow in Christ. And I think in all the different things I've done over the years, that beginning probably has influenced me more than anything, is that ordinary people uh, can advance the gospel in their world and make disciples in their world.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's, let's go back there, and, and I've sort of given just a very brief introduction um, to who you are, all of which has, I'm sure, come to play in the book that you wrote, but also in how you're living out your life right now. But you did grow up there in the Seattle area, correct? Yeah, I grew up, if you can call 17, being grown up. I grew up till the age of 17,
1: uh, joined the Army, and uh, then spent the next uh, probably 30 years uh, in various places around the world, and uh, I guess about 20 years, and returned uh, returned in the late 90s back to my hometown. So I left as a teenager myself, and when
0: we returned as a family, we had teenagers (laughs) in our family. (laughs) So I mean, you growing up, tell us a little bit about your background spiritually in terms of faith or church or the Bible. were these things that you were familiar with? What shaped your life in those early years up to seventeen Yeah, no
1: i I grew up in kind of a blue collar environment. My dad was a uh, was a custodian for the school district. My mom worked in a laundry um, none of my family had ever been to college. We didn't have a spiritual background. I, I did not go to church growing up. I didn't know much about God. Uh, this just wasn't a part of my life and really hadn't done a whole lot of, of thinking about uh, the Lord uh, during my growing up years.
0: So you graduate high school, you join the army, and that takes you literally to the other side of the world. You find yourself stationed there in Germany. And you already mentioned this friend who was able to begin sharing with you about Jesus. Tell us a little bit more about how that affected you and what caused you to ultimately put your faith in him. Yeah, so really, uh, some of the best things in my life
1: have happened to me in Germany. So my first uh, time, my first tour with the Army is when I met Iris, and we were married when we were 18, and <laughs> we came back to the States. And then a second time in, in Germany in 1980 uh, is where we met uh, Dave and his wife, Cheryl, Um, yeah, I think, uh, life had started happening to me. I had some responsibilities in the military. I just didn't really have the internal, uh, resources to, to kind of deal with what life was throwing at me just in terms of trying to be married, be a good husband, do my job well, those types of things. And then Dave came along right at a time where he seemed to have a strong marriage. He seemed to be good at his job. He seemed to have a purpose in life which I began to recognize that I didn't really have a purpose. So he introduced me to Jesus, uh, got me reading in the scriptures, and eventually challenged me to read in the Gospel of John, where God uh, just started speaking to my heart. And I can remember going for a walk with Iris during these days, and I had given her a Bible and asked her to start reading. And and when we first went for a walk, I said, okay, I'm going to talk to my wife about God, you know, <laughs> and we'd been married about three years at this point. And, and I said, Hey, Iris, I've never asked you if you believe in God or not. And when I said that, I thought it's probably not right that we had been married three years and the topic of God had never come up. So we both kind of started on this journey together. And, uh, once, uh, you know, the Lord just began to bring me closer to himself. And once I submitted myself to him and just said, okay, I want to follow you. I want, I want your, your life in my life. Uh, I also said, I don't know much about living the Christian life, what that even is, but I think Dave does know. Hmm. And sure enough, Dave began to just help me uh, life on life. I uh, learned to learn to read the Bible, learn to pray. I mean, we even eventually went to a chapel service and, then I had to learn how to sing out of a hymnal and some of those kinds of things. But, uh, but yeah, he he and his wife just poured their lives into us for a couple of years and taught us uh,
0: how to walk with Jesus and how to influence others with the gospel. So t- take us through, I guess, those, those early years, even after your time there with Dave. Um, your current work now, you work with a, a Christian ministry called Navigator's some of our listeners might be familiar with them, and you very much have a focus on doing for others what Dave did for you, introducing them to this, this person, Jesus, who's alive today that they may not have ever encountered before, even if they've heard his name or they've, they've heard bits and pieces of information about, about him. But introducing that message, introducing Jesus to people in places where they might not normally encounter him so for a lot of us you know when we think about religion we we tend to think about uh, sacred spaces whether it's a church building or a cathedral or a mosque you go somewhere if you want to learn about god and that wasn't necessarily your experience personally and it's also something that you're wanting to turn on its head um in, in terms of helping other people. So tell us a little bit about what you're, you're doing currently with the Navigators, and then we'll probably loop back to some of your story uh, in the 80s and 90s. But Sure. Yeah, so uh, I'm, I'm
1: excited to be part of an effort to help people just advance the gospel in their natural pathways of life. And specifically, we're thinking about the neighborhoods in which they're planted. So we're trying to help people reimagine uh, church in terms of the people that are following Jesus that live in their proximity and live in their area, and then think holistically about the places that they live in uh, as as places where the kingdom of God could really be experienced by the people that surround them. So yeah, we're hoping, we, we don't want people to have to go to a religious institution to find God we want them to be able to find him next door uh, through the people that are following him and are loving the people around them well. So we're after that with everything we have. And it does, it does fit into, I think, the broader goals I've had all my life, which is really to have the gospel and discipleship be in the hands of regular, ordinary people. Uh, if, I, I don't think you have to be an expert to advance the gospel, but you do have to be connected to people and interestingly enough, God has connected us through our natural relational networks. Uh, and yet o- often we don't, we don't pay as, enough attention and give enough effort into those networks as we, as we could.
0: Yeah, I totally agree with that. One thing I've always appreciated about your perspective is, I think because you didn't come up in a traditional church here in America, and then because you spent quite a bit of time in the early years of your faith, overseas in a society and and in a culture that That was probably post post uh, Christian and I don't know if you've ever been maybe part of the system so to speak <laughs> <always> Sort of <laughs> But hey, you're in the church you're there, but yeah. but you're in a very unique position. I think to, to maybe be close enough to the traditional church that you you have some insights into What's going? Well, maybe where we're stuck But also, you've got some great insights, I think, into how we can really walk with Christ and and share him with others, you know, outside of of the traditional places and activities that, that we would think of as being like religious activity. So tell us a little bit more about the years in between, let's say, from 85 to your return in the late 90s. What were you learning during those years and how's that shaped what you're doing today? Yeah, so after,
1: you know, after about 11 years on active duty with the Army, trying to be one of these ordinary disciple makers, God uh, made it clear that he, by means of a greater strategy, uh, he was asking us to join the staff of the Navigators to help more people like this. So uh, I've, I've been on staff for about 32 years with the Navigators, and that included uh, five years in Heidelberg, Germany, working with American military people as our focus, And we happened to be living there when the Berlin Wall fell and all of this radical change happened in in Europe. We were living there watching it happen. Through a series of events, God led us to move into the former Soviet Union. So we spent about three years in Riga, Latvia, and uh, Vilnius, Lithuania, working with highly secularized former communist uh, young people that had, in many cases, experienced a a spiritual awakening because of just the the tension that came with the whole independence movement. So uh, that's mostly what we did. Uh, We came back in the late 90s to the U.S. after having been in Europe for a little less than 12 years, um, and came back. uh, All we really knew was the military, so originally came back to our roots, working with the military at Joint Base Lewis-McChord up in, um, what wasn't a joint base then, uh, Fort Lewis, up in the Northwest. But we were also repositioned among my family uh, that I had left as a non-believer decades ago. So we, in addition to ministering to the military, we began to reach out to my uh, my extended family that lived all around us, as well as to our neighbors, something we, we've we just always done. We've always tried to love our neighbors well. And in in the late 90s, early 2000s, the Lord just blessed those efforts in my neighborhood and our family. We saw some uh, probably the strongest uh, ripples came from my sister coming to Christ out of a, a drug-addicted background, um, her life radically transformed, and then she began to bring her friends. <laughs> and, and so we started to have this mix of uh, neighbors and uh, family members, and then uh, people trying to get off drugs or in drug rehab. And it was just a, a beautiful, kind of broken, messed up community, but not, uh, you know, not evangelical, not church-oriented people, but people very hungry for Jesus And I think that whole experience that probably lasted from about uh, 98 until about 2003 or 4, that radically transformed our thinking. I mean, we were on that pathway already. Um, We eventually ended up moving to Seattle just to be able to help more people do the same thing. So we began to coach people in the city of Seattle. And eventually that led to me moving uh, moving into Seattle to become the city leader uh, in Seattle. So I'm on my third job with the Navigators right now, but we're living in the same home uh, connecting with many of the same people reaching out to the same neighbors. So that's, that's been kind of the trajectory.
0: So I know you've got your, your local work there in the Seattle area, but you also have uh, some, some responsibilities. And I know you're, you're trying to take things that you've been learning there in Seattle and help others all over the United States who are in different cities, different communities, try to live out some of those same lessons learned that that you guys have had. And also I think you're probably still learning uh, alongside these others. When you look at what happened there from 98 to 2003 with your sister and some of the friends that, that she began to bring into the, the community, Were there some things that you did purposefully or did that just sort of happen? And then you began to learn some lessons. Uh, Maybe just walk us through how did that all go down that five year period? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I think the principles,
1: and often when I say this, it can sound so simplistic, but they, they must be said you've got to pray about the people in your world. So you you have to create uh, some means that has you, naming the names of the people around and asking God to work in their lives. And I think one of the main things that happens when, when you do that is that you get on God's wavelength. So you begin to see what he's already doing, and, but he invites you into it. And so uh, we became very strategically prayerful, both walking our, neighborhoods, our neighborhood, but having lists of our family and then my sister and others' uh, networks, so that's kind of number one, is you've got to be a prayerful person. And then number two, I think, is you've got to love people well. So you have to think about, well, what is the loving thing to do? And that means having people in your home and uh, using your home kind of as a central centralizing, organizing principle for ministry. And so people are just in there a lot, doing a lot of different things. Then the third one is kind of hard for people to to grasp, but it's like, do what God Tells you to do, you know. So he'll he'll show you ideas, and then you try those. In, in this particular case, uh, we took my sister and uh, her her uh, at that time fiance that she had met in drug rehab to a marriage encounter weekend. And at this marriage encounter weekend, they urged people to get in the scriptures to strengthen their marriage. And so as we were driving back, uh, Della said hey, we need to get in the scripture. We're about to get married. We need to help. So that gave me the idea to try that with all of the married couples that we were connected with, and there were a bunch of them. So we started with about a dozen couples studying marriage, and none of them were believers when we began. As a matter of fact, none of them were on their first marriage. Only Iris and me in that group were still married to the original person we were married to. But they were hungry, and that that group kind of became the foundational movement forward. We ended up studying marriage, and then we studied other things. We just read the scriptures, and that became, really, that became our disciple-making group. And, in fact, when we moved to Seattle, we turned the leadership over to two couples. Uh, Interestingly, I just saw the wife of one of those leader couples yesterday, And I am amazed at how they're doing. I actually write about them in the book that you mentioned, and I I changed their names because there's some sensitive stuff shared. But it is amazing to me just, again, their background coming from a highly broken place, they're just naturally doing the same thing among the lost uh, again. So that's kind of how we're we're trying to spread this virus uh, nationally. Not everybody has the kind of background that I'm describing of myself, so we're, we're having to help people from a more uh, traditional church orientation, unlearn some things, and learn some new things, uh, because there are some things that have kind of infected, I, I think, the body of Christ in America that are not helpful, that, that we've just got to get away from if we're going to really see the gospel uh, advance through ordinary people.
0: Well, there, there's so many great things that I'd, I'd love to dig into there. But I, I do want to maybe just skip back. You, you mentioned three things there. One thing I, I love about those three things is they're so simple. Like anyone can do these things. And a lot of times when we think about sharing our faith or making disciples or being the church, we really can, we can overcomplicate it. And, and most of it's in our head. And, and sometimes we don't even know the answers to those questions, but we just assume that they're really complicated and beyond us. But the the three that you mentioned there were to start with prayer and to begin praying specifically for the people that you're already around, be they family members, neighbors, coworkers, friends, begin praying for those people and that, that they would encounter uh, the Lord and that God would give you the opportunities to, to share your faith. And then secondly, love people, you know, see the needs that are already there. And one of the really cool things about love, I think is that it doesn't always have to be extreme, but it's usually a surprise. It's usually out of step with what most people are, are used to encountering from other human beings. So awesome. it it doesn't necessarily always take a huge sacrifice to make a big impact because people just aren't expecting it. Yeah. So, so love is the second thing you mentioned. And then uh, the third one was just do what you, you know that God is telling you to do, even if it seems a little strange, step out in faith, trust him. So let's, let's fast forward to where you're at today. You also talked about some of the challenges that you find uh, believers facing as they, as they try to live out their faith in the everyday places of life. So what are some of those that stand out to you? Things that are obstacles or
1: challenges for that happening. Yes. Yeah. I one of the things that has really struck me is uh, is consumerism in the U.S. So consumerism is a big statement, but but basically, if you go back far enough, uh, we we cr- increased our capacity in the United States to create things, and. Uh, the, the decision was made to create greater demand for things, so the advertising industry was born, and, and so those types of things have been going on all of our lives, but they're, they're hyper now, and what they result in today is we divide people into segments so that we can market things to them, and consumerism in and of itself also, uh, it likes division. Think about this just in your neighborhood. If, if you know if all the neighbors know each other, you probably don't need to buy as much stuff because there are things that you could share among each other, even skills that are that, that in a neighborhood you might possess that if you don't know one another or, or like one another or trust one another, you'll just hire somebody to do. So consumerism pushes us that way. And rather than live counterculturally to that consumerism, live a way of love and care. Uh, we've often bought into that. So one way that manifests itself in the church is that, as believers, we know we need community. So we we study in our Bible, and it says we should be in fellowship or community, and we know we're in touch with the fact we need that. Well, then often our institutional churches will then advertise almost as if they're uh, applying to consumers of community that they provide the best community. So come on over here and we've got great uh, kids programs or we've got fantastic life groups or growth groups or whatever. So they sell community to the body of Christ because the body of Christ reads their Bible, hopefully, and knows they need it. There's a few problems with that. One is that community is a human need. So every human being on this earth needs community, whether they're in touch with it or not. It's not just a Christian need. God created man to be in community. And the second problem is that Christian community ought to be integrated with all of human community. So when we consumerize and programatize our community, we pull it out of the broader community that it should be connected with. So there's a lot of things that we look to Christian institutions to provide for us that really regular friendships ought to provide those for us. And those friendships don't necessarily even need to be with believers. And then when they're not, the gospel has the opportunity to advance on those, on those lines. So I, to me, I think the divisions in our society, there's great division right now, mostly because you can trace its roots to consumerism. Like even our news channels today, they're just trying to carve out one segment and they're trying to make that segment mad and scared of everybody else. And the main purpose is so that their ratings will be higher so that they can sell more things and will buy more things. So we have an opportunity, I think, as believers, to live a, a totally different story to that. And I think the main way we do that is we do it locally we do it in our natural network so we we connect in friendship with people that think differently than we do about things and that becomes our main community and then within that you may have you you will need a a group of a christian community that helps one another walk with jesus but that ought to be integrated into the whole so anyway i've kind of said opportunities and uh and obstacles. Both those things are usually an obstacle as an opportunity
0: when it's flipped over, you know? Uh, yeah, I totally agree with that. I think that in times of, of great challenge, that there are great opportunities. And so it, some of it is just, you know, be, being aware of what we're up against and how our current reality provides us with some some pretty unique and I would say in some cases some new challenges that maybe we're not going to be able to look to past generations to solve. We're, we get to try to figure this out. I mean, even, even just technology is, is a huge, um, you know, shift in our society and in how, and how we relate with one another. Uh, some of what you talked about with divisions, uh, also just the sense of, of being disconnected Um, From people all around us. But I think in the midst of those great challenges or those great obstacles, there are some tremendous opportunities. And I want to touch on those as we as we start to wrap up. But I want to go back quickly to one thing that you said there where our community needs to be local. Now I know you. And so I, I want to have you maybe unpack that a little bit more because when you're talking about local, sometimes we might think of, well, of course, I'm part of a church that that meets here in my town, and I go there, and and that's my community. Is that what you mean by local, or is it maybe something even more close to home than that? Yeah, well, we've been discovering, uh, and we got
1: this from our friends at the Parish Collective, uh, and we've kind of adopted it, this idea of Figure out what your boundaries ought to be. I mean, Acts seventeen twenty six talks about the boundaries that God set for us so that people could reach out and find Him. And one way to determine what that is would be to to say to ask yourself two things: Is it large enough for me to live most of my life? So probably your cul-de-sac is too small. Or if you live in a standard uh, suburban neighborhood, that might be too small because you've got to be able to shop and eat and get your hair cut and and that kind of thing. But figure out what is what is uh, large enough for me to live most of my life in and then small enough for me to be a known character in it. That if I if I made the radical decision to live within this geographical space that's large enough for me to live most of my life in, and i did that every day and i did that intentionally could i become a known character and actually as i start to connect with other other christ followers could we become known characters in this place together and so that's what i mean when i say local now the ge- geography will be will vary if you're out in rural arkansas it might be it might be huge you know it might be a bunch of farms but y'all go into one town to do your business and you'd have to all of that would be included in suburbia, I find it's often the size of an elementary school district, but it's going to have to include some businesses and that kind of thing. It can't just include residential areas. I live in an urban context. It's, a, it's about a five-by-five five square block area for us. We can pretty much do everything. So we can walk, and that's caused us to change where we do certain things and businesses, but because I'm leading a national work, Uh, When I'm home, I'm living a pretty highly localized, I'm really thinking through where do I do things. And so uh, when I think of church, I think of church as every follower of Jesus who lives in, in my geographical space, my neighborhood, my area that's large enough for me to live life and small enough for me to be a known character. And so part of my role as I follow Jesus is to connect us who are Christ followers with one another. Even though they, my friends, my neighbors may drive somewhere else right now to attend a church, uh, we are the church in this neighborhood for the rest of those six days of the week. So trying to figure out how do we live that out together. Um, and so I've chosen to really make that my focus, knowing that other believers, they may, have, uh, they may not be in the same place I am, but they, ha- they do live in this space. So I'd like them to become more intentional about what they do as they live here.
0: Yeah, I really wanted to dig into that a little bit more, just knowing your mind and also knowing how you guys are living out the mission of following Christ and and sharing Him and making disciples. Because I think for a lot of us, we do that. We Basically, we commute out of our local context. I mean, even if it's just four or five miles down the road, and then we're interacting with people, at a very limited, uh, in, in a very limited window of time, usually Sunday morning from, from 10 to noon. And that's what we tend to think of as our church community. And then, like you said, we go back to the rest of life, but really beginning to see, hey, God has put me in a certain location. And there are people all around me, many of whom I, I don't have any connection to, but I could if I yeah. began to have a vision for that, begin to purposely pray and be intentional about that. Uh, of course this this podcast is into the harvest, and one of the ways I think about that is we are each of us in a in our corner of the harvest that God has already assigned us work to do. If you read the Matthew thirteen Jesus describes the entire world is the field that that he is. Obtaining a harvest from. And you and I are in different corners of that field, but we're right where God wants us to be. There's work that needs to take place where we are, and who's going to do it? Well, it, it's us. So we don't need to leave that corner to go find something to do. It's actually all around us, and we want to learn how to be effective right where God's already placed us. Well, brother, it's been great uh, chatting with you. Uh, my guess is that we'll probably do this again at some point in the future. I would love to one last question that I wanted to ask you just to wrap up our time, sort of maybe a fun question, uh, over the past 12 months, tell us one book that you've read that was entertaining, educational, helpful for you that you'd want to pass on to, to our listeners. Well, I mean, to say one is hard. I'm usually not even just
1: reading one book at a time, which I thought was insane. But then I heard some guy say that was actually a good thing to do. Um, a book that really has impacted me, and it's, I think it's been kind of popular recently. It's a relatively new book. It's called Everybody Always by Bob Goff. And that book is just about loving people. And he's a master storyteller. So I found myself laughing out loud to the book and sometimes even shedding tears over his examples. But it's just a book. I mean, the idea is who are you supposed to love? Everybody, always. And he gives gives stories uh, about that. So I'd say just in the last few weeks, that one has greatly impacted me. Um, If I can give a bonus one that fits with what our conversation's been on, I just finished a book called Subterranean, Why the Future of the Church is Rootedness by a friend of mine named Dan White Jr., who's a church planter out in Syracuse, New York. And uh, he's, by the way, my favorite Twitter follow if you're on Twitter, Dan White Jr. But uh, I thought that was a great book. He, he makes a compelling and probably a stronger theological case why the church is is designed in god's plan to be rooted in their place uh, so
0: those are two outstanding Now, well thanks for sharing those with us thanks for joining us today and we'll do it again sometime soon okay andrew bye thanks for listening to the podcast you can help us reach more people by going to itunes subscribing and leaving a review and if you like what we're doing here tell a friend about us In an age of social media, word of mouth is still the most powerful way to spread the message.